Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Wretched Hive podcast. I think this is episode 192, if I'm remembering uh, my math correctly. But as we've proven, Dave, on this show, as always, math is hard. It's hard. Math is hard. Thank you very much. Uh, it is a duo episode. It is a wretched lethal weapon this week, I think, because it is just me and Dave here to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode three. Welcome, Dave. Which is which just, just perfect. perfect. Uh, I'm trying to decide which one of us would be the Falcon or the Winter Soldier. I think it comes down to who would be the better dressed, and that, sir, is just a race to the bottom, if you don't mind my saying so. (laughs) Well, our wardrobe does consist of comparing T-shirts to each other, but I think I have the older (laughs) pair of tennis shoes, so (laughs) so there we go. (laughs) That's fine. That's That's strong. That's strong. Uh, Absolutely, sir. Uh, Episode three. Falcon of the Winter Soldier. We have officially reached the halfway point uh, as it airs on Disney Plus originally on Friday, April 2nd. Um, what did you think, Dave? What's the quick high level, quick overview of episode three? The high the level high overview, level of, overview of, this of this one is that it, it. Sorry, I'm getting sorry. that feedback again, and it's impossible to think. Okay, there it stopped. <laughs> Steve, you're going to have to cut that out. The high-level overview of this one is that it felt like just action sequence after action sequence, and I don't know that there was as much meat on the bones as we've gotten in the previous episodes. It's still enjoyable. It's still fun. There's still a lot going on, but I don't think it had any of the subtext that I was really enjoying from the first two episodes. This was much more just bang, smash, you know, people getting the snot beat out of them, mostly by Sharon Carter, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. It, it is pretty straight ahead uh, action, buddy cop, as we've mentioned in the past. Um, and yeah, I, and I'm not not enjoying this because uh, it, it is cool to put it on on a Friday night. You come home, you have a glass of wine, you have a beer, whatever you're, uh, whatever, you know, pick your poison, if you will. Um, and, uh, and I enjoy the show. But uh, we have grown accustomed, I think, to thinking and picking apart these episodes and maybe scott would disagree with me because scott likes to pick everything apart but uh it's it's just a show for me right now it's really not sucking me in it's not you know it's it's not must watch tv like if i pick this up on a saturday morning i'd be just fine with it whereas wandavision i was kind of you know amped it at midnight on thursday night to uh to start the next episode and this one just doesn't have that for me um yeah wandavision was a giant geekgasm and you could generally see that my evidence of that was generally that in my news feed i would always find you know five or six articles first thing in the morning when i would get up you know 6 30 a.m i'm looking at the news feed to see if the world ended overnight anywhere or not and there's five or six articles about the wandavision episode that's literally been live for six hours and (laughs) i'm like 24 hours plus of the falcon and the winter soldier being live and i'm like i'm hunting for those articles on the internet. They're not just being handed to me on a silver platter. I'm having to hunt for them, and I can't even find six at this point. You know so what? It's, that's... It, it's not to say that it's a bad show. I want to be clear about that, at least for me. I'm not saying it's a bad show. It's just not It's not that you know geek renaissance that we got with uh, WandaVision where everything could mean something. A lot of times here, it's like, that's just a guy. That's just a guy. Don't worry about him. He's going to be dead in five minutes. Yeah. You you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I I feel you because we all kind of went through that. Do I check social media this morning or do I stay off of it? Because I haven't watched the episode yet. And there is no fear of that at all with Falcon and Winter Soldier. You can jump on whatever social media platform you want to, and you don't have to worry about being spoiled because there's just there's just the routine stuff that's happening. And I don't want, yeah, like I say, I don't want to call it boring. I, I just want to call it just normal is what I guess I want to call it. And I don't know if that's a, the most stellar review for the show or not, but the, it, but it the sounds show, worse than it is. Cause I know what you mean. You're like, this is just a normal Marvel 
product. And a normal Marvel product is still a lot of fun and still worth your time. Exactly. So let's get into it, Dave. And episode three, this one titled The Power Broker. The Power Broker. And we've had references, but uh, we're still going to just... As, I think The Power Broker is kind of the Mephisto. Like, there was a Mephisto from WandaVision that never really appeared. But the power broker is the Mephisto of Falcon and Winter Soldiers. There's been a lot of talk about it, but we haven't really seen much about him yet. Yeah, uh, he's he's like he's like the Wizard of Oz at this point. He like is everybody's trying to get to Emerald City, and nobody's even close yet. We're not even to the poppy field at this point. So we open with a commercial for the GRC, the Global Repre- Repatriation Council, which is the group that's uh, that's helping integrate folks who have been. Uh, blipped back into existence here um and i think it was just yeah, do you think it was just kind of to s- set up even though they've set it up in the past who they are just to really catch people up to speed of who the who this group is and and why they're a thing that's out there do we did we need this commercial to open the show this week i i don't know if we needed it but i i did kind of like it just in the sense of it's been a week since we watched the last episode and now here's something to kind of bring us back into what this world is because this Marvel world of 2023 is a very, very different world from anything that we would imagine. You know, they're still, they're going to spend a lot. It, what am I trying to say? Marvel is, I think, hanging its hat on that we're going to take a while to put the world back to where it was prior to the snap, which is actually a pretty realistic way to do it. And, you know, one thing about, do, about things like, because there are things that happen like this. There's always these subtle reminders of, you know, what happened in previous episodes. And what I liken it to is there's an old quote from Stan Lee uh, when he was talking about coaching young writers. And his advice was every comic is somebody's first comic they've ever read. And Mm -hmm. so you have to give something for the casual reader, the casual viewer, to let them know what's going on, to catch them up in the story. And it seems kind of repetitive from time to time, but there's a reason for it, and there's a good reason for it. And if hey, if Stanley says it, it must be true. What do you think, Dave? I I I know that quote. I love that quote. It it's totally valid. And for all the grief that people give Stanley, good naturedly for the most part over the years now, I mean, that is a very profound thing to keep in mind when you're writing any type of episodic entertainment, which is what comic books are. And mm-hmm. Stanley was very very good at it. Uh, yeah. Aaron Spelling would be a TV equivalent for it, and that Aaron Spelling, who produced a lot of the primetime soaps that you and I grew up on, he had a writing school of thought where he said every plot line in an episode needs to be able to be boiled down to four basic key ideas that are one or two words each, so that <laughs> that way you can you can drop those keywords in at any point, and a viewer who has missed the first 45 minutes of the episode can tune in, hear those four keywords, and realize, oh, that's what's going on, and they'll fill the rest in for you. Excellent. Dylan McKay. Yes, 90210. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, so we open this week with that. After that commercial, we go right into John Walker, the new Captain America. And there's a couple things that we notice uh, right away. Uh, he's on the trail of, of the Flag Smashers. He's still out looking for them. And he drops a couple of bullshits straight off the bat. So this is not your father's Captain America. It is the new angry Captain America um, and it, and his uh, his sidekick Battlestar is the one who's the really the voice of reason in that relationship, which seems like a switch. Not that Bucky or any of Captain America's sidekicks were ever the voice of reason, but Cap was always the calming influence, kind of on everybody. And we're seeing that that's not the case now. There was one thing that I noticed in this opening scene, and I don't know if you picked up on it too. And it's and it's it was a, a subtle cue leading to what you know you and I know is coming up with the the John Walker character or anybody else who's you know been a fan of the comics in the past is there's a lot of white noise in the background and 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 I think it's to white to, noise <laughs> easy now easy now <laughs> and I think it's to denote that the kind of instability of John Walker as a character. Did you pick up on that? Did, did you did you notice that at all? Because when he's really trying to concentrate hard, there's a lot of you know, or when he's trying to calm himself down, there's a lot of just just you know noise in the background of the scene. Did you did you pick up on that, or is that just me? 
I did not pick up on that. That makes me want to watch it again to look at it because that is exactly the kind of subtle subtext that Falcon and the Winter Soldier has done in their first two episodes. So if that is there, that's actually pretty uh, pretty strong. And that dynamic you're describing, that is that is what the comics were like. I mean, typically Steve Rogers is Captain America. He's the North Star. He's the compass point that everybody else sets sets their path to. And the John Walker Battlestar dynamic in the comics for those those 18 issues that they were partners, it really evolved to being the other way around where Battlestar was the guy with the moral compass who'd be like, whoa, John, you can't just walk around caving in people's skulls like that. You've got to, you know, you've got to be a good guy here. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to be Captain America after all. You're supposed to be aspirational, not destruction. (laughs) (laughs) So we move on. Uh, and we get to Bucky and Sam talking about the uh, about what the plan is going to be for Zemo. Um, Sam obviously still hesitant. Zemo, a, a pretty major villain as far as they're all concerned, um, deserving to be in jail. Um, and we get the uh, I think this is possibly the first reference to. Well, there hasn't been many Marvel properties that have come out, but we get the first really Wakanda reference uh, since uh, the, the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Um, saying that they're still pissed about that he killed to, that Zemo killed Ting, King Chachaka, and that happened in in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Bucky goes through his plan to. Uh, it's funny they should mention that, right? Exactly. Funny that that should happen just in this episode. They uh, Bucky goes through his plan to break Zemo out of jail, and in true Watchmen fashion, another DC property reference, he he, te- they, he then tells Sam that he, the plan has already taken place. He's already busted him out of jail, and he didn't have any chance to uh, to uh, talk him out of it. So Zemo's out. Did we? <laughs> yeah. So what do you think of that plan? I think that's a horrible idea. All right. Well, if I told you that had that plan had already happened, what would you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> So we see the first, uh, the first uh, vision, for lack of if a better will. word, if you will, thank you, pun pun not intended, of the Zemo mask. And what was your reaction upon seeing seeing the Zemo mask there for the first time in the MCU, Dave? So I've seen it in some of the trailers, so it's not the the first time. It's the you know first time in a full story, but my yes. reaction remains the same, which is I think he looks a lot more like the Spider-Man villain Sin Eater than he does Baron Zemo. Oh, you may have, you may be onto something there. Yeah. Uh, that was, that it's very similar look. Right? Yeah. It's that purple. It's that, you know, just the eyes showing with the mouth and the nose completely covered. Yeah. You might be, you might be onto something there. I am in love with the Zemo mask. I want to make me a Zemo mask is what I want to do because I thought it was just, fucking the bomb dude i fucking loved it i really you are, did. you are a kinky little minx sir i am a kinky dirty dirty little minx is what i am uh zemo goes into a little bit of his backstory not only was he uh, a sokovian it is sokovian isn't he sokovian isn't his family sokovian so, yeah sokovian yeah so not only is he sokovian citizen he's sokovian royalty and apparently he is rich as fuck he's got cars he's got airplanes he's got the world's oldest butler um but apparently they can't afford a new fridge for his uh, for his Learjet. Is that is, is, is that, that a thing? That's that's tough. That is tough. But <laughs> so this is this is the the fun bit of the buddy cop thing. Is now we're into that trope where you have the uh, untrustworthy ally, right? The person who is mm-hmm. the villain who you're now allied with because your interests are legitimately intersecting. And Zemo is. The actors, and I'm going up on who the actor's name is, but he's doing very well with that role. But more importantly, and I, I mentioned this to you in the pre-show, what I love about how they're writing it and how he's playing it is this is a villain who truly doesn't believe he is a villain. He is doing the right thing, even if it disagrees with what the heroes want. And that's what makes the character so delectable and delicious to watch him just on his private jet sipping champagne saying, what do we want the world to be full of the red skulls? <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and he's not a world dominating. Um, he's not some type of, uh, some type of tyrant. He doesn't, you know, he's not craving power. He just does not want to see, like you say, the world full of people who are like the Red Skulls or the world who are full of supers. He's basically Syndrome from The Incredibles is what he is because 
Well, he's not syndrome because syndrome wanted everybody to be super. So I think I yeah. think he is he's kind of the opposite of that because he just wants no powered people at all and really feels he's doing it for the betterment of humankind. So that's why he's there. Um, the are are you know Sam and Bucky. They are going along for the ride because, you know, they need him for their purposes as well. But I, I for me, I feel like it made it a little uncomfortable that everybody's just too buddy-buddy and too trusting of this guy immediately right out the gate. They bust him out of, out of prison and immediately jump on his plane like NBD. And I, I, I think I would want a little bit more control. May, I mean, maybe let him fly on my plane. I don't know if I would go fly on his plane. Let him fly on my plane. But, well, yeah, because he's busy telling the the butler in German, like you know, hey, give them the bad, give them the day old sushi out of the fridge. <laughs> the fridge is broke. If the food smells bad, give it to them. Um, yeah. it seems like kind of a dick move, Zemo, but uh, but he does like him some Marvin Gaye, so there's there's that as well. Yeah, that was a really weird bonding moment. Like I I enjoy Marvel because it takes the time to let the characters breathe. Unless it's Sharon Carter. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> That's coming up uh, just shortly here. Because then the next location. You know this show more than. more than uh, Much more than WandaVision. Which took place in entirely. In a, in a one small city in New Jersey. This one's really jumping all over the place. And the next place they take us to. Which is the third location. Just in this episode alone. And we're only like you know 10 minutes into it. We get the first MCU appearance of what is known as Madripoor in the comics. And uh, do you want to give a quick 20-second uh, explanation of what Madripoor is, Dave? Madripoor is a fictional Southeast Asian country that was created by Chris Claremont, uh, rose to prominence in his Wolverine regular series, and is the, the first big seeding uh, publicly of an X-Men locale into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This would not have been made possible if Marvel had not purchased uh, 20th Century Fox a couple of years ago. Absolutely correct. They, they, Mar- they would have Mar- just been reduced to saying, you know, poor man's Blade Runner city as the locale <laughs> for this. Marvel does this a lot. Um, you have Genosha, you have Madripoor, you've got Wakanda. They like to set these international locations, but don't really want to give them a name. Um, uh, be, because they don't want it to seem like you know something is is and and I don't know that this is the case, but uh, and, and it's just kind of my mind that takes it. But I don't think they want it to seem terribly racist. They're picking on you know this is what I, a, they do in Asian countries here is have these seedy little bars here. I, I just want to throw it out here: if if Marvel was trying to avoid things that were that might be perceived as racist, like they really missed the boat on a lot of their seventies and even eighties stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like just just throwing that out there. There's a lot of things that you look back now and you're like, ooh, gosh, they published oh, that. Did they? Oh, ooh. Sweet Chris, sweet Christmas. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so we go into Madripoor. Uh Sam gets a uh Sam is really the only one who gets a true disguise, uh a, a, an alter <laughs> ego, if you will. because uh, Bucky goes in as the winter soldier, Zemo goes in as Zebo. Sam gets to be the smiling tiger. Um, is this a reference? And, and this is where I'm going to rely on you. Because this is where I play the Steve Baldwin role of the show here. Because there was a lot of things that happened in this episode. I'm like, is that a reference to anything? What's going on here? Is the smiling tiger a reference to anything, Dave? Have I missed out here? It, honestly, no. I mean, the answer is yes, it is a reference. And no, I don't think you missed anything. It's a reference to a, a somewhat obscure character that started in The New Warriors. A, night, a really great 1990s comic by Fabian Nikesia and Mark Bagley. But the character is 180 degrees different from what it is in the comic book. So it, <laughs> I, they literally took a concept that exists in the comics, turned it into something completely different. And I, I almost wonder if it was an accident, to be perfectly honest with you. Because the Smiling yeah. Tiger is actually a dude that looks like a tiger. Oh, okay. Well, and and, he, and he's always his superpowers that he's always smiling. I guess because that yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we're we're walking into Madripoor, which I, and this was the part I thought was really kind of hilarious about this episode. So there's this bridge. Apparently, the only way that you can get to this island of Madripoor is across a bridge, and apparently, you have to walk across this bridge as well. Why are they walking across the bridge? Because they look cool, Greg. They look so <laughs> cool. Even Anthony Mackie in his admitted pimp outfit looks really cool. 
It it did it was a good look. I'm not gonna lie. The 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 cinematography here was fantastic. But I I just it made me laugh that they had to walk across this bridge. And then we actually go into the um, and I'm putting in air quotes here southeastern or southeast Asian city of Madripoor because and I put it in quotes because I have never seen so many obviously American actors hanging out in a southeast Asian city before in my entire life. It was the it was the the whitest place I've ever seen in Southeast Asia. You don't don't knock the tourist trade over there, Greg. Come on. <laughs> so uh, again, the the there's lots of mentions of the power broker. There's graffiti on the wall that says the power broker is always watching. So we're really and, and getting we, and we have not met the power broker yet, right? I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. We haven't even seen him in shadow, him or her in shadow. It's just. There's this individual known as the power broker, and everybody's living in fear of that individual, correct? The, yes. The only direct communication that we've seen with the power broker is there was the guy on the phone from the last episode after they were chasing down the flag smashers. There's the guy on the phone that says that they've escaped, and there's a text that goes to Carly Morgenthau that says, you know, you have my stuff. I'm going to kill you or something like that. And that's the only direct communication we've had from the power broker at this point. We don't know if it's a man. We don't know if it's a woman. We don't know if it's a, you know, a, an, an alien. We don't know if it's an android. We don't know if it's a wizard. So it's it's obviously one of the big three at this point. But we just we have no idea. Um I'm going to laugh if it's an alien Android magic user. That would be like a trifecta. <laughs> it is all of the big three. And that would actually be fitting for a power broker. So I, 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 I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, so they go to see their, their, their fence, their low-level operative, whose name is Selby. Is that anybody? Is that I think that is also a, a low-level, barely-used Marvel character. But it almost doesn't even matter because the POW... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mysterious, about, mysteriously assassinated just as things were getting interesting talk about low level as that person gets about 30 seconds of screen time before they are immediately just murdered but at least they got lines in the show so there you go uh yes. sam sam has to take a phone call from his sister in the middle of the meeting and you know if he's some big badass smiling tiger you know everybody's you know he's got this reputation why do they make him take the phone call? Why does he even take the phone call at that point? I, because big people with guns started pointing them at him, and he, w he was told to take the call on speaker. So I, I, I found this whole setup just kind of weird. I, I get where it was going. You know, I understand where it was going, but I, I found the whole setup weird, um, and and it just kind of unsettling. It wasn't really, it wasn't really my favorite thing here. Um, and that leads us into you made reference with Selby getting getting murdered mysteriously from a sniper from the outside, and what I have to bring up here is is this is a Marvel show. It is based on comic books. Um, it has always been I'm going to say family friendly to some point. You know we've seen some levels of comic book violence, but we've never seen outright violence violence until now. Did you did you notice how they really amped up the the violence level of the show at this point? How it really just kind of went over the top with the with the crazy. It started to feel like a John Wick movie for a few minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree, and it. I felt it. it I don't know that I liked the choice because. The violence juxtaposed against the bar, which is supposed to be this seedy, weird, like serious underground back alley bar and i'm like there is nothing in that bar that i can't find with just a little bit of effort here in orange county <laughs> right it doesn't feel exotic it doesn't feel dangerous it doesn't have my radar going off in any way it's like ooh, you know sam took a shot Ooh, somebody cut open a snake somewhere it's like that that's not that far outside of the norm yeah. you know it's 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 pretty it's pretty it, yeah you know we we've seen these type of movies before and it's it's nothing unusual that we haven't seen. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah, my the, but my my point was the moment that that we kind of go outside of what we might expect to see on a Disney Plus show, it's in violence, which just feels so cliché for American entertainment. Yeah. 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 I I and I think you know we talked about the the interest level of the show and and I don't know if this, like, all of this is supposed to amp it up. It just, it it seemed very, 
lowest common denominator. What are we gonna? What type of conflict are we gonna get in this show, and how are we going to get them out of it? Uh, let's just have them shoot a bunch of people in the face. Um, and and yeah, it did kind of go John Wick a little bit like that. Um, so so that happened. Uh, they they get out into into a back alley, and we get we finally after three episodes get the reintroduction of Sharon Carter. She comes back. She is uh, now. Is she the one? Was she the sniper? Because I think I was a little unclear. I watched it a couple times. I it, was unclear if she was the sniper. It is unclear. I don't think she's the sniper. I think the sniper is uh, somebody else that we'll be talking about a little later on in this recap. Okay. All right. So uh, she says that she mentions to Sam how she's been uh, living on the run ever since the blip. She did not get blipped out of existence with the, with everybody else. Um, and she is still persona non grata in the United States. And so uh, she's she's kind of taking a turn. Um, she's a little cynical. She's a little she's dark. A, she's a little cynical. She's a little dark. Um, and, where living a lot, and living a lot better than Sam was when Sam was on the run uh, yeah. after the Civil War. Yeah, because they, they, they do mention, well, well Sam, Sam was dead. Well, no, well, so Civil War happened. And oh, then so you have the, Civil War. Yeah, yeah Civil War. You. And then there's like a year or two before you hit Infinity War. Gotcha, gotcha. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so Sam did make mention in the past of how they lived in dingy, dirty hotels and everything like that. Um, life's a little bit different for Sharon Carter. Um, I don't know if living on the run is actually bad for her at this point. Uh, even though she's trying to say that she can't call her dad, she apparently has money to fly her dad out to Magiport and she's just not doing it. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that. <laughs> I'll just, look, if you're making your living being a fence for stolen high-end art, you're not exactly living life on the run. Yeah. And I have to say, I was a little skeptical that that was the whole of her story. And I think the episode kind of bore me out that I'm right in my skepticism on that. Yes, I, I am with you there because um, even though she's complaining about her life on the run, you know, the obvious living high on the hog lifestyle that she's that she has there um, leads to something that we'll get in and in, get into in about maybe 10 minutes or so. Um, they go to another Southeast Asian club uh, with every white person in, in Madripoor uh, attending and we get some cool uh House music for those of you who are fans get to see Baron Zemo's moves, and she figures out in about two minutes she finds the impossible, which is the the doctor Doctor William Nagel. We actually didn't mention him yet. Doctor William Nagel is the guy that they determine is making the super soldier serum that's out there. Um, and they find out they find his location in about two minutes. This episode really is. We just need to get through a bunch of exposition. We're just going to give it to you immediately. Um, there's the searching for the doctor. They find the doctor. They, you know, all in the span of about 10 minutes, they get to it here. So this is the, this part actually made me laugh. So they're going to, uh, they, they find the secret lab location in a, in a, in a uh, field of, of, of shipping containers, right? Um, and all three guys go in to talk to the scientist, leaving the one girl in the group to go out there and fight about 50 terrorist hitmen that are all, <laughs> that are all tracking them down. <laughs> did, did you could anybody Which, else have waited outside while they talked to that guy <laughs> i know give her a little backup but you know it, that was actually i thought the best action sequence of the series so far is yeah. is her fighting all the various hitmen like that was that was such a perfect right out of a lethal weapon movie uh you know the renee russo parts in in parts three or four it yeah. was so it, that was such a good well choreographed, well well shot out fight sequence. She looks she was like, brutal. She was not Disney Plus fighting either. That was yeah. some brutal stuff that she she threw down on people. She she looked like a badass. I'm I'm totally gonna agree with you there. And I'm also gonna agree with you is she was just a vicious killer. You know, they talked to there they hinted in Endgame about how much of a killer that um Hawkeye had turned into in his uh, in his alternate persona, and what's the alternate persona's name? It's not Ronan, is it? Is it Ronan? It is Ronan. It is Ronan. It is Ronan. So they talked about you know the the violence that he was up to as Ronan, um, 
And, you know, and again, they have they they made it Disney plus version. So he was super violent, but they didn't really show anything. They held nothing back here. She was stabbing guys. She was John wicking guys in the head. Um, it was it was pretty brutal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm not going to lie. I was a little taken aback that they put that level of violence on a Disney plus show. I, I agree with you. I would. I was surprised, and like I said, it's a juxtaposition for all the other areas where they kind of they do stay safe and they Disneyfy the world, if you will. Yeah, and yeah. that's an element where they're just like, ah, oh, no, this is this is like an old school, you know, Paramount movie or something like that. <laughs> so as, as she's out there murdering about fifty guys, um, uh, we, we get we get Zemo and Sam and Bucky all talking to the to the good doctor in there and and what he's been up to. And I thought his story was kind of interesting. Uh, he was working for the government. You know, obviously it's been referenced in the past that people have been uh, have kept on trying to uh, develop the super soldier serum. Uh, it came up in the Hulk. Uh, it came up in uh, the very first Avengers movie that uh, Coulson mentioned that several people were trying to develop this. And this guy says he's Dr. William Nagel. He says he was almost there. He just about had it. And then the blip happened. Uh, so he went away. He came back five years later, at which point nobody was doing that kind of work anymore. So he goes to work for the power broker, which I thought was a decent explanation of where that came from. Yeah. Um, it's made some sense and you know and and he made a reference to um uh when it came to helping uh carly morgantho's mother who apparently was sick you know it, it kind of explains to me his whole attitude towards why he's working for this terrorist now you know not my pig not my farm uh, i thought that was a really interesting line um i just wanted to throw it out there a good, a, a good piece of writing and just it real quickly explaining that this guy just really doesn't have the moral character he just you know he he wants to get his science on and he wants to earn some money so so not my pig not my farm guys so he's he's doing his own thing for at least the next three minutes for at least the next three minutes because he also dies (laughs) it's quite the body count in this episode uh this time killed by zemo though killed by zemo um and And again nobody says anything like dude yeah you're just running around killing people. Yeah, Zemo right in front of everybody. He kills them both, um, and then the lab is shot by a rocket from by one of the terrorists outside. So the the lab then blows up. So now there's no more doctor to make the the serum. There's no more lab to produce the serum, and the lab had no serum in it. So the only vials of serum now, of which there were twenty originally, they made a call that there was twenty originally, and they were all stolen by Carly Morgenthau. Have they said how many were used? Because I think this is going to be important later on. How many were used they, by the Flag Smashers up to this point? They they have not. And that is either a bit of an accident or a deliberate writing choice so that they can leave it vague and come back to it later. They're leaving yeah. themselves some open doors. I, I for sure think it's it's of the uh, it's a, a, a vague sense. So you don't know how many are used and they can have some later. But... It's not going to be like there's super soldier or super soldier serums everywhere. You know, there's only yeah. 20. They've used some already. I think we can count at least six or seven that have been used by the the flag smashers themselves. So, you know, we're going to call it roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 that, that are left at, at this point. So, so, uh, here's, hard. so here's a prediction for you. Will Sam take one? By the end With of the show, Sam take one. Uh, I can almost guarantee John Walker's going to take one uh, if he hasn't already. If he hasn't, well, true. If he hasn't already, I don't think he has though. Um, it's I, you know, as we saw in the last episode, the Flag Smashers were able to handle him pretty easily. Um, so I don't think he has. And he made mention in his Good Morning America interview as well that he did not have super strength. He made mention of that also. That's uh, just what I would say if I didn't have super strength. <laughs> That's just what they want you to believe. <laughs> uh, so uh, they all escape the burning lab. They're all pretty. Uh, they're all pretty, pretty okay after being inside an exploding uh, laboratory. But but no big deal. MBD. They're all fine. Uh, and Zemo, um, I just got to give a shout out again to the mask and jacket combo. Mm. That was pretty tight. <clears throat> but but it is very but it is very sin eaterish, right? Like that's that's. 
It is. It's super close to the Sin Eater costume, um, and we're going to have to throw up a uh, an image of the Sin Eater just for, for Steve, I think, because he's going to listen back to this. He's going to be like, who the fuck is the Sin Eater, guys? Why so, are you bringing up another name? And, that's- and Sin Eater is a, a minor Spider-Man character of outsized proportion because he is just an ordinary dude who just went mental psycho and became a serial killer, just basically going around and killing people in Spider-Man's world with a, a shotgun wearing a ski mask. Yeah, <laughs> calling himself Sinister. That, that that is basically the character, and I think he's maybe appeared in twelve comic books over the course of like forty yeah. years, maybe yeah. if that. But like I said, a very well-known character to Spider-Man fans, outsized outsized impact to what he's actually done or appeared in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I completely thought Zima was going to bail on our heroes here. Uh, but he does not. He shows up in a uh, a beautiful convertible Camaro. I think it was a Camaro. Uh, but whatever it was, it was a beautiful fucking classic it was, American car. It was bitching whatever it was. Bitching Camaro. Uh, he shows back up. Sharon says her goodbye. She says, you know, uh, she's going to go on her merry way. But she wants uh, that pardon that Sam keeps promising her. She's still looking for the pardon that Sam has promised her. Which is pretty uh, bold because I will guarantee Sam does not have the authority to get anybody a presidential pardon. I will uh, just sure I will I will stack that right now. Sam is writing a check he cannot cash. He's the Falcon. What are you talking about? He All the Avengers have pardon authorities. He I didn't can't know even get a loan from a bank for God's sakes. He, he's going <laughs> to get a presidential pardon lined up for somebody. That doesn't well, make any sense. That's just because he's a minority. It has nothing to do with whether he gets <laughs> the pardons or not. <laughs> they don't give loans to minorities in this country. You know this, Dave. Come on. That's true. That is true. Uh, so right when we think we say goodbye to Sharon Carter, she gets into another limo when she's away from our heroes and says, we've got a big problem. And is this where we want to get into some Sharon Carter talk? Uh, Yes, this is where we want to get into some Sharon Carter talk. So she is somebody who, as a character, was not given a lot of chance or time to breathe. Uh, one thing about, yeah, on screen, the pacing of the show so far We've gotten that with the Falcon. We've gotten that with the Winter Soldier. We've gotten that with Zemo. We've gotten it with the new Captain America. They've gotten some screen time and some time to breathe so that we get to know them as characters. Not so much with Sharon Carter. I'm hoping that's by design. I'm hoping this isn't the only time we see her in this series. And uh, I'm just going to throw out there, what if she's the power broker? That was That's what I was getting at because they brought up her... You know, the fact that she is so jaded, the fact that she's been what, you know, I'm going to say screwed over by the government, even though she's the one who stole the uh, and it was all for just causes. Let's not, you know, let's not mince words about it. But, you know, she's she broke into the government facilities. She stole government property um, and she hasn't atoned for it uh, up to this point. But in some fairness, have any of the others who have gotten partners atoned for it? Has Sam atoned for his crimes for not signing this? So the Slokovian Accords have have any of Cap's people atoned for their crimes uh, from the Civil War? And they all fought Thanos. I know. I'm just saying, like there is. <laughs> I'm just saying there is a there is a legit argument to be made that she got the short end of the stick. Yeah. Not so much in that she's facing a consequence for her actions, but that other people got the slate wiped clean and she did not. Yeah. Um, and I uh, I agree. And I also had the same. Well, maybe she is going to be the power broker because I think that would make sense. You know, if the power broker was going to be a villain that we had never seen before, I don't think they would have had a problem with showing showing us his face. Um, and again, this is kind of the whole Mephisto thing. We all think we know who the bad guy is behind the scenes and they could just be feeding a Sharon Carter. But it, I would not be upset if they made the reveal that Sharon Carter is the power broker for the reasons we've talked about here right now um uh sure or or she could be an equivalent of uh tiger tiger the wolverine character who wound up being like the uh underworld overlord of madripoor yeah yeah um and and it does seem again it does seem like she's got a bigger role in things um more so than she's letting on to the heroes here um and the reason i put it that way is because she makes it a point not to be in the same room like she she doesn't go into the bar where Selby is when they murder Selby. She doesn't right. go into the lab where Nagel is. You know, she makes sure that she's keeping herself separate 
when there's things that it, could be constant, where th- places that she could be recognized, she makes sure she's not going into those areas. Yes. So yes, it, you, you're it, you're picking up seem, on all the things I was picking up on. Yeah, it does seems like she is deliberately separating herself um, when there is a chance that she that her her alter ego could be recognized if she is in fact the the uh, the power broker. So something to think about there. I'm I and I I like you hope that we. This is not the last we see of Sharon Carter in this in this series. I don't think it will. I almost did think it was. I'm like, wow, that was a real quick cameo when she's like, I'm I'm, I'm peace out, bitches. I'm I'm going on my own way. But then she jumps in the limo and that kind of flipped it all around for me. And then I, in my head, I started to put the pieces together at that point. So yeah, it, I it, the, yeah. I hope we will see more of her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I will go. I will guarantee we will see more of her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That was not her. That was not a one and done episode. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, wrapping up the episode, we finally get to another location. We go up into uh, Latvia, Riga, Latvia, where the Flag Smashers are are setting up their base. And we catch up with Carly Morgenthau again as they're raiding another uh, GRC facility, the Global Repatriation, Co- Repatriation Council facility, which they have been uh, robbing kind of throughout the series as go along for medical supplies and, you know, and food, stuff that they can give to other refugees. Um, they're, re- they're, they're taking all that stuff from the council so they can pass it out to the places they think are, are in, in more need places. They think that, you know, they, they feel that the repatriation council is, is using them to their, to their ends and flag smashers wanting to create one world with no borders are, are using it to their ends. Now you guys didn't bring this up last week for episode two, but I'm going to bring it up now. So this gal, Carly Morgenthau, uh, the actress, the young actress who's playing, I don't have her name here with me, but she was also the gal who was in, or the young actress, I'm not going to say yeah, the young actress who is in uh, Solo, uh, playing almost the exact Folks, same don't, role. Folks, don't send us those letters. He corrected himself on air. Please no, don't send no us the letters. Mail. No hate mail. Play, she played the same role in, in Solo. You know, yeah. where they thought she was a domestic terrorist, or you know, they thought she was an inter, intergalactic terrorist in Solo's case. Uh, but turns out, helping the, just helping the little guy. Helping the little guy here. It, it, it's all perspective, right? I mean, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the American Revolutionary Army were viewed as terrorists by the British Army back in 1776. Exactly, and it kind of brings up that the same role as Zemo had, you know. Uh, so, any chance that Zemo and the Flag Smashers actually working together here? That would I think that would kind of make sense to me. There, there's a possibility. There's certainly a possibility that Zemo's interests will stop aligning with Sam and the Falcon, Sam and uh, the Winter Soldiers at some point, and they'll align with the Flag Smashers again. He's yeah. he's not a villain in the sense of, you know, I want to do bad things. Like a Malekith, the, the Dark Elf in uh, Thor, uh, whatever that horrible movie was, Dark World. <laughs> Dark World, yes. You know, a, a very two-dimensional, cookie-cutter villain. Uh, Zemo's a little more complex, and like I said, he doesn't view himself as the villain. And uh, for Marvel writers, if and when you get to the part where you bring in Doctor Doom, the great Fantastic Four villain, this is the key to making Doctor Doom interesting. Doctor Doom does not view himself as a villain. He just views himself as someone who's largely in opposition to Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four. Doesn't mean he wouldn't work with them when those interests align, because Doctor Doom doesn't view himself as a villain. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, uh, we have the, the exchange between Carly and her, I guess it's her second in command. I don't think they've actually ever actually named the, the gentleman, but, but they've been on screen together a lot, um, talking about their goals and, and, and where they're looking to go. And then she blows up the building, which seems to surprise him. Uh, they've, they've never actually murdered, the 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 people the 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 members of the mm-hmm. GRC it seems like to this point and and now she's finally crossed a line um and, and so I, it it sounds like they're that she's willing to do whatever it takes and 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 th- this was something they hadn't done before is what it looks like so um they're up in their game they're going from from eco-terrorist actual terrorist terrorist now is what it sounds like because eco-terrorists are just fake terrorists they're not you know 
Nobody takes them seriously. Nobody but, takes the terrorists seriously. But yeah, it, 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 I mean, that's how things go in real life. I mean, we, I, I firmly believe that we all kind of determine where our own individual lines of morality are by at some point in time, you kind of cross over those lines at some point. And you suddenly realize yeah. like, wait, I'm standing over here and I want to be on the other side of the fence yeah. over there. And then you know not to not to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like there's going to be a little bit of conflict in inside of the Flag Smashers themselves. Um, uh, second to the last scene, we get to catch up with John Walker one more time. He's still playing catch up from everybody else. He has finally made it to Germany and is investigating the Zemo prison break uh, that happened at the beginning of this episode. Uh, and and he and Battlestar clearly we're putting our best people on this. I know clearly they are the best people are on it, and they also feel that way because they're realizing that they have to kind of go you know off the grid to catch up to to, to where our heroes are already at. Um, and and John Walker again in a bit of foreshadowing says, if we get the job done, are they going to sweat us on the how? So he's realizing that playing, you know, Captain America is not not all it's cracked up to be. And he feels that it's holding him back a little bit, maybe. Which which is interesting because he's not entirely wrong on that either. Right. I mean, Steve Rogers would notoriously just tell the government to go stuff it when he disagreed. He just Steve Rogers had a firm moral compass and always wound up being correct when he would do that. Yeah. <clears throat> Even so, in the MCU, he was that way too. You know, yeah. he did not go along with the Sokovia Accords. There, you know, he was he is very consistent between the MCU version and the comic book version. Um, very consistent. So again, I come back to this whole thing. You know, it's not that John Walker is inherently a bad person. It's that he is just not up to the task that he has been given, and that those small gradations of differences have huge consequences when you are an individual with the symbolic power of a Captain America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then finally, the very last scene as the, uh, as the team of uh, Sam and Bucky and Zemo, as they end up in, in Latvia, uh, Bucky excuses himself. He kind of quietly notices something and excuses himself from the rest of the group to go take a walk. And we finally get the payoff to that reference to Wakanda. Uh, the Wakandans are there and they are looking for Zemo. They they want them a piece of Zemo. Now, did did you recognize who this Wakandan warrior? Who this was? It was she not. Is, it was it, not the the gal from The Walking Dead. I, no, it, it, it's it's the uh, I, I did recognize her. I did not do the research to look up the name of the actress or even the character, but it, it is somebody that we have seen in Black Panther and Civil War before. Okay. So okay. It, it they're they're carrying things through, and this is the pattern. This is the recurring pattern now that we've seen. We've seen like an introduction of a character at the end of each episode, right? Episode one, you got John, you got the return of Captain America, John Walker. Episode two, return of Zemo. And now episode three, return of, you know, one of the King's Guard for Wakanda. So it makes yes. you wonder, oh, what how are we going to continue this pattern for episode four, five, and eventually six, which will clearly be, you know, a foreshadow into something in the future. Yes. So, uh, again, this is the, the first time, the first mention of the, the Wakandan since the uh, passing of, of Chadwick Boseman. Now, I don't think, since there were already, always plans for a Black Panther 2 uh, on the table, I don't think that you would have seen Chadwick Boseman in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, but I like the inclusion of them in this storyline. You know, obviously they are a race that is very proud. You know, they went to great lengths to capture... Um, uh, Andy Serkis's character. I forget what his what uh, Bloodstone. His name. Ulysses Bloodstone. Blood. Uh, no, Claw. Claw. Yeah. Is was his real name Bloodstone? I thought I look. It's Saturday morning and it's been a long <laughs> week, so I could be misremembering. But I thought oh. he was Ulysses Bloodstone, but I could be completely wrong on that. So Claw slash Bloodstone. Um, we're gonna call him both right now. We're, we're, two, we're two. are two different people. Please don't draw anything <laughs> there other than. We are just both confused right now, and we uh, and we acknowledge one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Uh, I'm going to say we're both right, is what I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, so they went to great lengths to track him down in the first Black Panther movie. You know, even prior to that, in Avengers: uh, Age of Ultron, and in um, in uh, uh, the fir- the first Black Panther movie. So obviously, 
they are a, a people that like to go after, you know, uh, look, they're the Lannisters. They always pay their debts. Yeah. They always pay their debts. They, they always, they're always willing to hunt down criminals. So I like including them in this story. I don't think it puts kind of too much, you know, uh, too many characters into the pot here that we're cooking on. Uh, and, and I, and I like seeing them come back. So, uh, it, 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 this is actually the first week where I'm actually kind of excited for what happens next week. I thought it was a really good end to this episode. Um, and yeah, what, so, so, so overall, I think for me, mm, this was the best episode of the series for me. Um, even though the, the hyper violence of the side aside, uh, it, this was the first, like I say, this was the first time I was excited to come back and see what happens next week based off just strictly based off of what happened at the end there. Yeah, I would I would say it was probably the worst episode of the show for me, but oh. I am I am excited to see what happens next cuz I was not ex- anticipating the inclusions of the Wakandans. And yeah. that opens doors to lots of things like are we going to see uh, uh T'Challa's sister make an appearance? Uh, Shuri, yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, is this is there going to be any kind of a setup here for Black Panther 2 or the forthcoming Wakanda series on Disney Plus that's going to come from Ryan Coogler in the future? There's a Wakanda. I haven't even heard of that. When did they announce yep. that? They, 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 like, stealth announced it a month or two ago. But, oh. yeah. The upcoming slate of series that'll probably drop in 2022 or 2023, there will be a Wakanda themed one from the mind of Ryan Coogler, which well, I am. Now- eagerly looking forward to because that original black panther movie is just the bomb on so many levels yeah it is, it is so good that makes a lot more sense than we would see this, the you know well it makes perfect sense you know when you think about it because it is you know because obviously uh bucky and zemo very much steeped in, in wakanda lore at this point as far as the mcu is concerned um and also makes sense in the fact that uh that we have an upcoming series so we can backdoor pilot this one into into the show as well even though there's only six episodes here we're going to backdoor pilot into, into this short six episode series that we have <laughs> uh overall dave how how do you rate the series so far i know we're only halfway through but overall how do you rate the series I, I don't like it as much as WandaVision, but it's still it is still a good Marvel product. It is a good Marvel product. I am going to rate it a B minus myself. Um, I think it's just slightly above average. Um, uh, like I say, they're not they're not uh, breaking down doors. They're not uh, they're not uh, uh, reinventing the wheel here. They are just strictly showing you that there is a Marvel formula and the Marvel formula. I would also put it in the B range, but I will say that if they focus a little more on that that subtext, that racial subtext that we got in the first two episodes, if that comes back to the forefront, it could elevate this series a lot for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. That's uh, episode three. We are halfway through The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, We'll see you next week for episode four. Uh, I think Steve is still going to be in Hawaii at that point, so it's going to be a Dave and Greg show again. Uh, we'll see if we can get Scott and Nico to wake up and actually join us at a, at a reasonable hour next time. So, uh, although, although I'm going to call this right now, if Scott does show up, we're going to pay a lot more attention to what the time limits are that we're supposed to stick to. <laughs> true, true, true. With just you and I, there are no time limits. We can talk about whatever the goddamn hell we want. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And may the Force be with us all. See how I nailed the post there? I did. (laughs) Steve's going to have to time that perfectly. I'm just saying.